All right, welcome to our next episode of Open Mic. Uh, today, I'd like to welcome Karen Hung, who is CEO and founder of Silver Rock Consulting. Karen, thank you for taking some time to meet with me today. Hey, Mike, it's great to be here with you. And I know we're tackling a big issue across the marketplace right now. So Karen, why don't you give just uh, take a couple of seconds to kind of give a uh, little background of yourself and your organization. Yeah, sure. Happy to do so. Again, Karen Hung with Silverock Consulting. At Silverock, what we work on are growth and innovation strategies and business models for our clients. And some fun things that I can just share is one of our clients that we worked with about six, seven years ago went from a situation of financial duress. We created a business model and they have now moved into a situation where they are uh, about, holding about 10x financial assets under management. And within that, they've continued to use the business model that we created back then. So oh. it's really created some enduring, some enduring value uh, for our clients. Yeah. And you guys bring a lot of, a lot of creative approaches and processes to your customers. I know, which is why we love working with you and why I'm excited about having you today uh, for this conversation. Yeah. You have some really great perspectives on things. So, so maybe I'll jump in and, and uh, you know, you see it all the time with the customers that you work with and your own organization, that that frontline leader element, that mid-level is, is uh, has such a huge impact on, on the workforce. Um, so when, a, when you're aligning your business strategy and people strategies, how does the development of that mid-level manager play into that strategy? Well, that's a big question. Uh, a few a few ways to think about this, and I didn't did not mention this in my intro, but I also have worked for a lot of major corporations, and one of the corporations I've worked with is GE. And so, when at GE, one of the lessons I remember learning as an executive there is just that mid tier management, and then this also happened in other places, were really the ones who drove your strategies, who really kind of ran the organization and the operations, whereas with the executives we're leading. And so that the alignment, the buy-in, the momentum is really generated at the mid-management level. So really, really key to make sure they're on side with you. And you talked about some of the methodologies and disciplines we have at Silver Rock. One of them I'll mention is co-creation. And so when we co-create that mid-tier to upper-tier leadership team are coming alongside. So I would highly recommend that to those who are listening to think about how do you engage those mid-tier managers when you are thinking through big issues like workforce and other strategies. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Um, you know, it's it's um, this ability to attract and retain it. it, it it's it, it's sometimes it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg element. Mm, and and yes. these days, right now, the ability to attract talent is is a challenge for many companies. And then absolutely, you know, the the focus on retention to me becomes so important. But what are some of the micro trends and macro trends that you're seeing? Uh, in the marketplace that are impacting people's ability to attract or retain talent? Well, a few things that I would just mention. One is, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now about money, right? How much you're paying people and how much they're getting bonus, sometimes just even to show up for the interview or show up for first day. I would say the cash currency is one currency. It's just one currency. I would um, tell you that there's other ways that you think about retention, right? After you bring them onto the team, how do you keep them onto the team? Just like with clients and customers, it's much easier to retain the customers and actually they, it works better for you over time. So a few things that I've been, I'm hearing about quite a bit in the marketplace is number one, flexibility. Above all else, I'm hearing a lot around flexibility, whether it's hours, 
flexibility in certainly work locations or work kinds of constructs. So that's a big one. Second thing I would say is around purpose. The alignment with purpose is really critical these days, and it happens in the workforce, and it also happens in the marketplace. So I would say those two those trends are amplified across, you know, and are, are blended. So in terms of purpose, making sure you're authentic about purpose, there's a, I read an article recently about purpose washing. And so when you aren't authentic, you've got the your statement on a piece of paper somewhere on the wall or by the receptionist desk, but you're not living it, it just doesn't count. But if you are very aligned with purpose, people are really drawn to it. So that's the second thing is purpose. The third thing is, you know, really kind of thinking about deconstructing or reconstructing the work. And that takes a bit more, a bit more work uh, around that. But if you think about a job, you know, say there's two thirds of a job that's people oriented and one third that's kind of maybe data oriented or de- detail oriented, a lot of times we look for one person to fill that. So it may be around splitting those kinds of roles so that you're really aligning the talent with, with what they love to do and kind of put, it puts people in their brilliance. So those are some of the big trends, right? Deconstructing, reconstructing jobs and positions, flexibility and, and um, purpose alignment. Great. So how do you find talent aligns? You talk about purpose. How do you find talent that aligns with that purpose? You know, um, there are, you can find unicorns or semi-unicorns. Um, and so th- those are possible. It, t- it does take work. And I would just say networking is a big one that continues to be really relevant. Um, going to the places where the folks who have aligned values would like to sit and, and reside and explore. I do think, personally, I think there's a lot of curiosity uh, these days, people who really want to do good for the world and do well for the world. And so, you know, where are some of these folks and, and, and where are they learning and growing and being groomed? So those are some spaces that I would say, you know, the, that may be more non-traditional. So, for example, different conferences, not on maybe on your industry, but maybe on kind of more purpose generation. So that could be one example. Could be networking in um, different alliances and associations. And then also there's the strata of the emerging leaders. And so those are just some examples of places where you can think about finding talent differently than the traditional job boards and um, job fairs and things of that nature. Karen, in working with different customers of yours, um, what are some of the things that you're seeing that are kind of a little bit more innovative and unique uh, strategies that they're using to attract and retain talent? You know, one of this I thought was so creative when we were thinking about uh, workforce and workforce strategies with one of our clients because resources, right? If we look at resource uh, from an executive level, it is time, talent, and treasure, right? So a lot of times we always think about financial capital, but the human capital is so critical. And so now the the conversation has shifted quite a bit in the last few years. So with that, some of the innovation that I've seen was um, one was around job sharing. And so typically you think about job sharing is maybe within a week, like I work two days, you work three days. But what I heard about, which was really creative, is around I work these four months, you take these other eight months, right? So job sharing in a, in a very uh, different way of constructing. I'll also share, we, Silverock did some work with a client, a, a, global, um, a global client and a multi-billion dollar client. And they had asked us to think about, as we look at their transformation and growth strategies, their talent strategies. And and one of the things that we talked about with them is instead of just thinking about just pure talent acquisition, think about other relationships you can have. And so again, just uh, for the value of those listening, 
we talked about own, sharing, and buying, right? Talent. And so there's constructs that we can think about today around different relationships. And at the end of the day, does it really matter the formal relationship? What matters more is the conviction and the, re- the covenant relationship that you have with somebody that they're there to do the work, right? We're all here to get this job done. And we're on mission to get whatever task, whatever strategy, whatever piece of, um, you know, in uh, result accomplished. So I would just invite all the listeners to reframe your thinking around workforce from filling a job to thinking about what's the work at hand and how do we engage people, regardless of what formal or formal or legal relationships, to really think about how do we get this big task done? You know, how do we solve these bigger issues and get bigger results that we all aim to, to want to achieve? Yeah, that's great. That's great advice too. And you know, one last question, and you and I talk, have done a lot of work and talk a lot about the whole, the, this inflection point where strategy and culture come together. Mm. And that's, that's where the magic comes, comes into play. Um, what, what, are, what are some of the gaps you're seeing in organizations making that link from strategy to culture? You know, there is a traditional way of looking at strategy and culture. And the way you and I've been thinking about it is it's very intertwined, right? So it's instead of culture eating a strategy, we talk about where culture meets strategy and where the two run in parallel. Because mm-hmm. what we are seeing is the strategy work and the business model work that we do influences culture in big ways. So for example, if we're looking at thinking about scaling up an organization or introducing a new revenue stream or going into a market space to own that, it will require people to work differently together. And the working differently together to get things done is culture. And how do people feel about it? How do people interrelate? And what are the values that we are are actually actioning in doing that, accomplishing that? So I'm very big on this culture meet strategy and the parallel and the intertwined, the symbiotic relationship of the two. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it, 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 and I think organizations have looked at it as one's more important than the other, and it's not, they're both equally as important. It's just, you, you bring them along together so that they align. Uh, right, and, and to the, the point that we're implicitly saying, it's culture and strategy are not compartmentalized. Right. They coexist, and oftentimes when companies look to solve for kind of big strategic needs as well as big cultural shifts, they look at it in, in compartments and it's not. They're, we can get pieces of the work done compartmentally, but at the end of the day, the two need to come together. And if we can start earlier in the pathway of intertwining the two, the more powerful the solution and the results will be for the client. Absolutely agree, absolutely agree. Well, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it and, and look forward to sharing this with with a lot of people out there to hear your story. So thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for having me, Mike.